Hey everyone, my name's Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode 98 of the show. It's like, it's like almost to 100, but not quite. So close to retirement. I can taste it. <laughs> we, um... <laughs> I feel bad because so many people out there are taking it seriously. I know, which makes me just want to bring it up more. I'm so evil. They're scared. Yeah, they're scared. Are you going to stop at 100? Yes. No. Yes, maybe. No, but maybe. Yes. But this time on episode 98, we are going back into annuals. Annuals. We have maybe two. Yeah. So these annuals were released on the same date as regular comics. We went ahead and threw them into the usual chronological order of the comics that were released that week. And which, of course, means Sergeant Fury is up front. I feel kind of, um, I don't know what the right word is, but I had to summarize him last time, which usually means you do it. But since it's an annual, it's like we're getting two Sergeant Furies this month. So guess who gets to do it again? Me. But that's okay. I'm getting used to them now. Did I lose you again? No. Oh. Did you, you hear me? Getting, you, you said you were getting used to them now, then you stopped talking. Oh. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say something, but that's fine. Um, we'll just leave that one in there. Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos annual number one, which was on sale July 1st of 1965. It's a special king size 72 big pages, but most of them are reprints, and we're just going to cover, of course, the one story. Uh, it's called Commission in Korea. Story, Smiling Stan Lee. Art, Darling Dick Ayers. Inking, Frisky Frankie Ray. Whoa. What? And lettering, Artful Artie Samek. Who's Frankie Ray? Is that a new guy? Yeah, I wrote um, some about him. Okay. Time, the Korean War. What? Place, the 38th parallel. And the pinup is basically um, Nick Fury being promoted. And if everybody wants to know how that happened, turn the page, kids. So if you turn the page, they talk about this river called, I don't know how to pronounce it, Yalu or Yalu. Uh, but it's basically like, Yalu. it's basically like divides China and Korea, from what I understand, because I had to look that up because I wasn't sure. But anyway, every time uh, the Navy in their planes, because Navy planes try to get in there or get past it, they get gunned down by this thing, you know, artillery thing. So guess what? We need somebody that can go in there and take out the artillery thing, but we can't do it by air because they keep getting gunned down. What should we do? Hey, I happen to know a group of guys who are itching to fight again. That were really good in World War II and could do stuff like that. So, hey, it's the Howlers. And guess what? They're all willing to do it. Uh, we cut to them on a big, uh, you know, ship um, going over the mission with Sam, Happy Sam Sawyer. They're all, like, really happy to be back in action again. Sam wants them to sneak in to Korea by way of the water. So, dress up in, like, the Frogman gear and stuff like that. But... One twist is he's going with him, and which Nick does not like because even though Nick respects him and thinks he's an awesome guy, like he's getting old, you know, Sam's getting old, and that might be a detriment on a mission like this. But anyway, of course, he can't argue because Sam's in charge. So they all dress up in their frogman snorkel gear, and they go swimming up to the shore. And instead of having to walk all the way there, they quickly find that there's a communist uh, jeep going by. So they knock all those dudes out, steal the jeep, and then blow the whole thing up. And then they, like, uh, drive through the resistance by, you know, pressing the pedal down really hard and 
gunning it. Unfortunately, Sam gets winged. He gets shot in the shoulder or the arm uh, as they push their way through. But they do make it through. Um, so Nick suggests that Sam stay behind. You know, they patch him up, put him in a sling and stuff, and then tell him to stay behind and they'll come back for him. So they make their way over to this thing they're supposed to blow up. And it's like, you know, it's a big, I don't know, army base with a watchtower and the whole works. Um, Nick invades the watchtower and beats all those guys up. But unfortunately, one of the guys he punches falls out the window. So that alerts the rest of the army because they or the, you know, the communist army because they see the guy fall out the window. So now the whole, you know, army is is fighting uh, uh, the Howlers, but of course it's the Howlers, so they end up blowing everything up anyway. Um, on their way back to meet Sam, he's about to get gunned down by some communists that were attracted to the explosion, and they see Sam, and they're about to kill him, but of course the Howlers show up right at the last minute, save the day, um, gun all those guys down. Uh, they, 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 I can't remember. Oh, they're driving back to wherever they're supposed to hook back up when a communist plane comes over and bombs their truck, but they all manage to jump off it and head into the water and they swim to shore and they make it magically happy or magical, make it happy ever after. And then we cut back to how this whole story started. And Sam apparently went on the mission because he wanted to, I guess, observe Nick in action so that he could therefore justify giving him a battlefield commission. So much to Nick's, annoyance because nobody wants medals when you're in the howlers he has been promoted from sergeant to lieutenant right lieutenant Mm -hmm. um and that's how the story ends and then in the caption at the bottom it says see he's on his way to being head of the cia like we all know he will be someday if you follow make ours marvel podcast the end so i would lay money that the shield Mm -hmm. series was born out of reader questions about what's nick fury doing in the modern era and mm-hmm. this is probably a similar inspiration. Like, what did they do after World War II? Did they go to Korea? What, blah, blah, blah. Because we know they served in World War II. Um, Korea was just a few years later. Also, you know, we talked last time about how Fury was, you know, an enlisted man. He's not on track to be a proper officer. He's just a sergeant. Usually people go to mm-hmm. school for that. But you can receive an officer's commission by direct appointment, and that is what often happens in the field, and that's what happens here. So he's basically jumped from working man's track to officer track, and that's the only way you can get to colonel is if you're on the officer track. I was, I was kind of amazed that like Korea was only five years after World War II. I don't know why I thought it was longer, but I looked it up well, because I was like, I wonder how— the episode of MASH, it was 100 years ago. Of what? The opening episode of MASH. It says oh. 1950, 100 years ago. Right. <laughs> but like, I was just wondering how old these guys are. But if it's only five years later, I guess they're not that much older. Pretty much the same. Is This, this yeah. book isn't going to continue to take place in Korea, is it? No, no. This is just a jump to the future, which actually is one of the points I was going to make. Um, mm-hmm. We now know all the Howlers who are alive after the war. Yeah, that's kind of a... Not necessarily a great thing, because this book actually has killed people off. So mm-hmm. now it's like they sort of took so away no maybe some of the drama. Die. Yeah, I guess not. They're all fine. So all these future stories, no problem. No problem. They'll make um, it. Captain Sawyer is a colonel now. He, uh, I looked it up. The legal requirements for being promoted to colonel, you have to have been in service for at least 22 years, and you have to have spent at least three years as lieutenant colonel. So depending okay. on when we are in the Korean War... 
He has been in the Army serving since the late 20s or early 30s. Wow. Well, and we knew he was like the original Howler, right? Yeah. And that's why, that, that's why yeah. he gets assigned to be, to set up a new Howler team because he's like Nick Fury before Nick Fury was Nick Fury. Mm-hmm. Kind of. And I mentioned that everybody's gotten promoted since we last saw them. So they're all like at least base sergeants now. Um, Fury's probably some higher sergeant level because once you get to sergeant, like all the higher levels are something sergeant. You know, just like mm-hmm. different kinds of sergeants. Um, I don't know. I don't have a whole lot to say about this, but I definitely enjoyed it as a little romp. Fury is now a second lieutenant, which is the lowest officer rank. And over the next decade and change, he's going to make his own way up to colonel and get in charge of the CIA and then in charge of S.H.I.E.L.D. Is that where he tap, taps out, like colonel, or does he ever get higher than that? I think he's uh, still colonel, right? Colonel Nick Fury? Yeah. I don't know. Sounds right. They start calling him director, but I don't think he ever gets a higher oh. rank. Um, yeah, it was kind of like just... Same plot, different bad guys, and I kind of felt like maybe Dick Ayers drew the uh, communist bad guys a little more racist than he does the German bad guys, but otherwise, yeah, it was fun. Oh, the one other thing I was going to say about this is that Captain Sawyer is super impressed by Nick Fury, but -hmm. Nick Fury is doing exactly the same sort of stuff he always does. Right. He's doing a great job leading the team. And Captain Slider's like, I'm going to lead the team. Oh, wait, I'm old. I can't lead the team. <gasps> Nick Fury's really good at leading the team. I should have made him an officer a long time ago. That was a little weird that he insisted on going. Like, does he need to actually literally observe in order to give someone a, what is it called? A commission or whatever? Uh, a battlefield, battlefield commission? commission? Like, is that a rule? I honestly or don't know. Was that just like a plot device to have him? Because I thought it was going to go somewhere, but it kind of didn't. It was weird. Because Nick was all like, "Oh, he's gonna, he's, he's too old to do this, and he's gonna slow us down." And then he gets shot and actually does slow them down. And I thought at some point he would turn it around and show how awesome he was, but that didn't really happen. And then it was just there's like no real sh- other shoe. Yeah, there's just like a story excuse that he had to go in order to promote Nick. It was a surprise. I don't know. Maybe that's an army rule. You have to actually observe them in action or something. Mm-hmm. You mentioned Frankie Ray. I feel like we've had his name before, but maybe not. He's Frank Jacoya. I still don't know who that is. Oh, Frank Jacoya is a big inker. He actually uh, just passed uh, recently. Oh. Um, but let's see. He's he's a big Silver Bronze Age inker. Um, lots of Spider-Man. I think lots of Captain America credits. Yeah, lots of Captain <laughs> America credits. Okay. His last credits on Mike's Amazing World are early to mid-80s. Okay. 83, 84. Hmm. Cool. Well, he's frisky. I know that about him. <laughs> yeah, that's what they say. Um, any other thoughts on the story? No, not really. There is a two-page spread from the original Sergeant Fury 1 where he met all the characters. But before that, as like a then and now kind of thing, uh-huh. is a two-page spread of the Howlers as they are now with all yeah. their supporting cast along the bottom. I thought that was pretty cool. And villains. And the Blitzkrieg squad, this might be their last appearance, is right here on this page. <laughs> it's actually very handy. I wish I had consulted this when we read the Blitzkrieg squad, because it actually has their faces that all look identifiable, and it has their names under them. So it's well, like, their oh. hats are mainly the things that are identifiable. Yeah. Their faces all look the same. Pretty much. And then for the heroes, it's Sam Sawyer, the skipper, mascot Hans Rutten, and Mayor Rutten, Agent X of the Dutch Underground. So... Fun. Yeah, the skipper was in this. Is like the same Navy guy that they've been with a couple times. He shows he, up in this one, too. He's an admiral now, I think. Yeah. So everybody's moving up in the world. That's a pretty big admiral. Because I know my Star Trek admirals are up there. 
And this guy apparently is going to become evil now because all admirals in Star Trek become evil. <laughs> Even Janeway. Even Janeway. Well, um, we just haven't seen that yet, but I'm sure. There's a bird's eye view of headquarters of Able Company at Fury's base in Britain. So we uh-huh. see that Fury and McGivney's barracks are actually across from each other. That was actually fun. There's a lot of dialogue on this little tiny. It's like kind of a Where's Waldo thing and lots of dialogue. And the dialogue was pretty fun. And it even has, I think, Stan and Artie in there somewhere, if I remember correctly. I missed that. Just talking. It's all just nonsense. It doesn't matter, but it was fun. Yeah, just silly dialogue. Um, They reprint Lord Ha Ha's Last Laugh, which is, of course, Pamela Hawley's first appearance. So Sergeant Fury number four. And then then, there's a plane's eye view of base tactical area sub pen dock and airstrip that was less fun because there's no dialogue but yeah still cool that they do these things and then they reprint sergeant fury number five the mercy of baron strucker which was a good right. one right it was Is that we, it we did not we did not love it we did not love it well because he cheats he tries well, to be baron- all cool and be like i'm super cool and you know, I, i'm like you know nick fury is gonna be I'm gonna be his nemesis and I can beat him with my hands up on my back. Oh yeah. And then I'm gonna cheat to fight him. It's just I don't know. I think we were just being disappointed. Yeah, but at least it was like an actual villain and he had a villain who hasn't really yeah, done he, anything better than this particular story, but he has shown up a few times, but yeah, not a whole lot. And then we get a page of Fury showing us what combat arm and hand signals are. Uh-huh. And um Which you always wonder about, you know, when you're watching these ninja movies and stuff. So now I know. I honestly thought that the symbol he's showing for double time was the one for halt. Like you put your fist in the air. No, but he, halt. You, you put it up and down for double time. See, there's an arrow. Yeah, but he's not using his fist never, on halt. I don't know. I've never seen anybody fist pump like that in an army movie to double time though. And why would you need to yeah. be quiet for double time? If you're double timing, you're not sneaking. So that's kind of weird that there's even a hand signal for it. But right, right. whatever. What do I know? And if you want to cease firing, they're not going to see you waving around at them. You're, you're going to need to shout. Right? Yeah. There is a cool double-page ad for the Nick Fury agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm-hmm. And the first page, most of it is the art from episode, from issue two that we just talked about. But then uh-huh. there's a second page that has, like, captions and uh, screenshots from the comic. It's a pretty great little spread. Yeah. And that's so it. You, that's it. That's the comic. So I get the X-Men, huh? You get the X-Men. I get the X-Men 13 also out July 1st. And this is Where Walks the Juggernaut. And if you want the Juggernaut's first appearance, throw issue 12 away. Get this one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, except if you need to know all that origin stuff, you need 12. But do we need to? Or has that all been retconned out of into the wastebasket at this point? I don't know. As far as I know, all that origin still stands. They're still stepbrothers. They're still stepbrothers and have the weird father who was either cruel or not cruel because we're not sure. And right. he got in a car accident that didn't break his legs. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right. And, That's and the, the demon and Satan demon guy is still responsible for the leg thing. And yeah. Okay. Uh, Lucifer. That's his name. Lucifer. Right. Everything. But I said everything but Lucifer. Satan. Scratch. Devil. What was his name? The Malabolgia. Yeah. yeah. Lucifer. X-Men. The most unusual teenagers of all time. Where walks the juggernaut? Story by Smile and Stanley. Layouts by Jolly Jack Kirby. Penciling by Jay Gavin. Inking by Joe Sinnott. Lettering by Swingin' Sam Rosen. Art team change. Say goodbye to Kirby. 
Okay, mm-hmm. so Juggernaut has busted into X Mansion after the longest approach across the front <laughs> lawn in the history of ever. Well, I mean, he they put posts and, in the lawn and stuff that really slowed him down. Yeah, they dug a trench. It was bad. Um, first thing he does is kick over Charles Xavier's wheelchair, throw Xavier on the floor. <sighs> Xavier tries to man blast him, but that's when they find out that his helmet keeps out his mind blast. He is temporarily stunned, but he. Brief, it quickly recovers. Cyclops blasts a hole in the ground. Juggernaut falls in. And like, oh my gosh, how are we going to you know, stop him? He's going to get out of that hole. Xavier's like, help me get back up. And he'd drive away and get my um, uh, helmet that like magnifies my brain waves. And I'm going to call for help. That's what I'll do. I'll call for help. So he sends out a distress signal on his brain waves. Meanwhile, Juggernaut in the bottom of this pit decides he'll just like punch holes in the wall of the pit and use those as foot and hand grabs. So he starts, you know, punching his way up. Um, X-Men keep fighting the uh, the Juggernaut. The Teen Brigade get Xavier's call. Matt and Murdoch can hear it from court, but can't do anything about it. Um, the Teen Brigade, I don't think they actually do anything either. They just get the call. They're like, but it's not in the radio. What do we do? I don't know. We're, we're, we're actually not characters anymore. <laughs> Why are we in this comic? So, <laughs> Pretty much. Um, f- finally, Johnny Storm hears it. Johnny Storm hears the call for help while he's waxing his hot rod with the guys. No, that's not a euphemism. And, um, or, you know. Phrasing. It might be. But yeah. he realizes that it's the leader of the X-Men, so he's going to go find the X-Men. He's wondering if he should or not. He thinks maybe he shouldn't, and he loses contact. So Iceman tries putting Juggernaut in an ice block. Juggernaut breaks through. They are trying to fight him. There's actually a lot of really cool action of the X-Men trying to stop the Juggernaut. It's just not working. Juggernaut and Beast stumble into the danger room, so Beast like turns on all the danger room obstacles to keep Juggernaut busy. Um, Johnny drives his hot rod away from his friends. Realizes that he really is being called for help. Uh, exits his car and flames on. Unlike last time when he like went through the roof. Um, Xavier's like, okay. Uh, hopefully helps on the way. Because I certainly was on this helmet thing for long enough. Gene, help me get back to, to the Juggernaut. So Gene helps me back to the Juggernaut. Then Human Torch shows up. Hey, I'm the Torch. I want to help the X-Men beat the X-Men bad guy. So he makes a fire circle around the Juggernaut to stop him. And, and uh, Xavier's like, Angel. Come on, help us out. Where are you? Angel's like, I got hurt. Um, Angel <laughs> flies up into the air and starts distracting the Juggernaut by flying around him in circles. Then he flies straight up in the air, down to the uh, Juggernaut, wrenches his helmet off, and this exposes Kane Marco's luscious red locks, which mm-hmm. Xavier then blasts with his brain powers and knocks the Juggernaut down. He also wipes more McTaggers. I mean... Johnny Storm's mind of all of their relationship and everything. So Johnny Storm uh-huh. flies back and is like, huh, why am I in Northern Westchester? Why? What? What? <laughs> what? I want to go home. I was waxing the guys. I mean, the car. And- yeah. Yeah. So then all the X-Men are all beaten up except for Jean Grey. And they're like, yeah, hello, nurse. And Jean's like, shut up, y'all. I'm not your mom. Yeah. And Xavier's like, okay, y'all. When you get out of your beds, I have a surprise for you. It's a broom. We got to clean this place up. Yeah. The end. Way better. Uh, Still some cornball silly stuff, but it's it's comics. It's going to happen. Way better issue than the last one. I so wish Jack 
was more involved in this though. Because I don't even think his layouts are very Jack-like. Like I think like he's barely phoning it in at this point. But if he had full-blown drawn this, this would have been so much better, I think. But, you really felt the difference? Yeah, I'm sorry, Jay Gavin, but you're just not making the juggernaut as menacing as I think the exaggerations of Jack Kirby would have done. But yeah. that's okay. Otherwise, just a small criticism to otherwise a pretty fun fight and, you know, formidable foe and all that. So Jay Gavin is a pseudonym for Werner Roth. He okay. has been drawing comics since 1950, and it's one of those hide from DC that I'm doing Marvel superheroes. Okay. He is actually, he's going to draw over Kirby's layouts for a few more issues, and then he's going to take over, and he's going to be our X-Men penciler until almost the end of the series. I mean, that splash page is pretty awesome, I got to say. Um, you know, giant, formidable juggernaut, and you look at Xavier through his legs, and he's all scary looking and stuff. Mm-hmm. That's neat. But then it's just like kind of tiny throughout the whole yeah, thing. We, but we do open with Juggerbutt. Juggerbutt, yeah. How awesome would it have been if the Team Brigade was the only ones who answered the call? <laughs> 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 hey guys, we we're here Rick to help. Jones. <laughs> and then he just slaughters yeah, them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They show up. We don't even have names, but we're going to help y'all out. <laughs> and then Juggernaut like viciously murders them. And then for the rest of our life, it's like, remember that time Professor X summoned the team brigade to help him with Juggernaut and they all died? I mean, that would have been funny. It sounds like that issue of X-Force that led into X-Statics. New X-Force team, they all go out and they all die. Uh, Yes, exactly. Um, okay, so Xavier is charging up his brain with this helmet. And mm-hmm. he gets so much brain power that he has to like let some loose like a pressure valve. So, you know, that feeling where there's so much power going on in your brain that you like, it's, you're going to flow over like a boiling pot. I can definitely relate to this. Hey, hey, Charles, remember when that juggernaut guy was taking forever to cross our lawn and you were telling us the story of his origin? And now that he's here actually beating us and breaking our bones, now you decide to ask for help? Like, maybe you could have <laughs> been doing that the entire time? That's okay, though. It's fine. Beast doesn't Torch need his doesn't legs. Doesn't do a whole lot either. He doesn't. I mean, I think it was cool. I didn't expect to see him in this, and it, that was kind of fun to have a crossover. Uh, and I kind of thought it'd be cool if he just came in and went supernova, see what happens, you know. But all he does is really blind him. I guess it would have been more fun if, like, Professor I X thought, could somehow contact the Hulk or the Thor or something like right? that. Right. That would have been fun. actually on his level. Yeah. Well, Thor is. Um, Thor's I think an Thor is in Asgard right now. And the Hulk is subservient to the leader, maybe? I don't remember. Well, I, Thor's in Pittsburgh, but that's still not New York. So wouldn't have worked. <laughs> I did like the juggernaut climbing out of the chasm. Because mm-hmm. he, he, you know, nothing can stop the juggernaut. So I had visions of him running through the wall at the bottom of the chasm and like maybe slowly ramping up and coming out. I wasn't sure I was going to get back to ground level. Mm-hmm. No, and, it's cool. Um, it's it's a very cool, unstoppable fight. I like that aspect of this a lot, um, especially the bits with like the beast leading him into the danger room and using that against him. That was fun. Yeah, that was good. Um, we learned that Scott can feel resistance in his beam when he hits something. It's uh. kind of a nice little, mm-hmm. you know, twist to his powers. I never really realized the Juggernaut has like this energy field that pushes things away from him too. Yeah, but he's just a big, strong guy. Maybe they go away with that at some point, but like he's pushing things back with energy somehow. I have a friend who really loves the Juggernaut mm-hmm. and actually has every Juggernaut appearance, except for maybe these oh, old, wow. really expensive ones. 
Mm-hmm. Well, there's that really great Juggernaut Spider-Man fight I'm sure you've read. Was right. that like a one-shot? That was really awesome. I think it's a two-part story, but yeah. nothing. Yeah. Uh, I think it's called Nothing Stops the Juggernaut. Yeah. And then I also <laughs> liked him the one time he was in Excalibur. He fought Captain Britain. That was fun. I don't know. I don't know a lot about Juggernaut. Mm-hmm, I just mm-hmm. know he's big and bad, and when he shows up, it's going to be a problem. He teams up with Black Tom for a while. They have a nice little... Uh, That's right, yeah. ...buddy-buddy going on for a while. It seems like he can actually combat telekinesis in this, which I know yes. they play more with later. I didn't realize when I'll look back to this first appearance. Yeah, what does he say? Like, Because initially, right out of the gate, Gene picks him up, and it's like, that's cool. But then he's like, right? she's like, she's like, what does she say? Something like he's crawling, he's counteracting my power and crawling towards me or something like that. Yeah, it's on page 16. The professor's right. He's advancing against me, pushing my power aside as though it were a physical thing. Yeah. Boy, they sure liked, uh, 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 I don't know what the right word is, but kind of just like put Gene in the corner on this one because like, he's like, go male X-Men, go take on Juggernaut while I deal with this head helmet thing i have gene you stay here it's like why does gene need to stay there what is she doing to help you she's not helping you mentally or with telepath telepathy because as far as we know she doesn't even have that yet so like why can't she get that till she gets phoenix powers right so why can't she be out there fighting with them it's like no i need someone to push my wheelchair when i'm ready was basically Mm. it but she does lift him a lot so like i think like she could have been out there helping more because she seems to be the only one who can make him immobile for five seconds at least right yeah. And also, this this is the first time I think that the X-Men, the star team of the book, are explicitly stating that they cannot beat the bad guys, so they need help. Yeah. And then I also didn't love that it's Professor X who is once again, you know, leading and organizing and saving the day. Because I kind of thought, like, once they graduated and he went spelunking that we wouldn't have this anymore. But now he's back doing it mm-hmm, again. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, eh. You can't keep yeah. having Professor X solve everything. I want Cyclops oh, to be the could. leader. I guess we can, sure. Easy. Just mentally wipe everybody every time, and there you go. Problem solved. All right. Well, it was a pretty solid issue, but there's, yeah. there's so much action, there's not actually a whole lot of stuff to comment on. Right. Kind of but blazing kinda, through the episode. That's two issues down, half an hour in. We kind of knew that was going to be the case, because it was part two, and part two in a comic book in our world always means big, long fight. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Speaking of part two, we're on part 28 or something of Thor. <laughs> so we've got Journey into Mystery, number 120, in my hand, this hammer. Um, and as you recall, he fought the Destroyer the last two issues, and at one point the Destroyer broke his hammer. So his new mission before doing the node stoves things, which I'll get to in a second. Oh, actually, I should do credits. Written. In the Fire of Inspiration by Stan Lee. Drawn in the Flame of Dedication by Jack Kirby. Inked in the Heart of Devotion by Vince Coletta. Lettered in the Other Room by Artie Simek. Um, So anyway, his mission is now to fix the hammer. So he went to Pittsburgh and found a kiln and fixed the hammer. Anyway, keep going. He then goes to um, where he left the node stones, which, if you recall, are the things that are going to prove that he's not a liar, liar, pants on fire to Odin. Because... Loki cheated with lodestones when they had to do the test on who's a liar, liar. And that was in Thor. Mornstones. Lodestones or Mornstones? What are they called? N-O-R-N. Norn. Norn. Why am I saying load? Load must mm-hmm. be something. L-O-D-E. That's not a stone. Anyway. That is that is, that is a word. <laughs> okay. It's not apply here. All right. So Thor 1, 16, 17, and 18 
he had that issue thing going on. Now he's following that up. So he grabs him. He pulls him out of the sack, sits down, takes a, like, breather with a bird, a la Disney style. And rabbits, too, actually, I just noticed. And, like, looks at him and decides, okay, enough clowning around. I'm going to Asgard. And he flies away, but one of them falls out of the pouch and lands on the ground and is to be dealt with later. So put a pin in that. He goes to Asgard. He shows Odin the sack of stones. And Odin's like, ah, I knew you were not a liar this whole time. Good job being stronger and better and more powerful than Loki in that contest. That was all about physical stuff. Uh, And Thor's like, you know, you've already sentenced him to uh, life in the workshop of Ularic or whatever. That's probably good enough, Dad. You don't need to be meaner to him because I still, you know, he's still my brother. And Odin's like, wow, you really are a hero. You're so noble. Anyway, it cuts to Ularic and Loki is indeed, you know, like, doing all his dirty work and laundry and stuff and not liking it. But he's also Loki, so he has access to all these chemicals and components and magical stuff, and he creates a suspended animation mist and shoots it on Alarak because he decides, okay, now I'm really tired of this Odin thing, and everybody just needs to die because I'm evil and you all treat me bad. So he escapes um, with that in mind. Meanwhile, Thor is back on Asgard, and he's bored. So he asks his father if he can go back home. His father says, sure, because, you know, I'm in love with you again. So you can go home. And he flies to his office, and he looks through the window, and there's nobody there. There's no Jane. There's no customers or patients or whatever. So he turns finally back to Don Blake after, like, issues of issues of no Don Blake. And he goes into his office. And there's just mail all over the floor, and there's still no Jane, no patience. And he's like, but she was supposed to be here. And in my absence, she usually, like, brings in some other doctor to take care of my patients. And there's all these, like, past due things. And the janitor's like, yeah, no one's been here. And then the landlord just randomly shows up and it's like, you owe me rent. And he's like, what is going on? Where is she? And as he's he's like, forget all you guys. I'm gonna, I got to find her. And he runs outside. As he runs outside, he passes a patient who talks about how – She's not into him anymore. She likes the new doctor across the hall. So I assume we put a pin in that too. Uh, he goes outside. He turns to Thor. He frantically runs to the street. They all kind of swarm after him. All the citizens like swarm after him because he's Thor. And they're like, whoa, Thor, cool celebrity. So he swirls his hammer and flies away. He goes to the Avengers to ha- have them help him look for Jane. Only he doesn't recognize any of these people. There's Hawkeye and Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch and Kevin Bacon. And it's like, who are you guys? And they're like, we're the new Avengers. Where's Captain America? Oh, he's out right now. And we don't need big, strong guys who can lift cars and stuff. We're doing just fine. And Quicksilver's like, you want us to help, though? And he's like, no, I don't even know who you guys are. I don't trust you. I'm out of here. So he flies away. Uh, 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 Meanwhile, we cut to Jane, who's like, will I ever see Don Blake again? And then a mysterious figure in shadow touches her shoulder and says, no, no, you will not. So we'll put a pin in that, too. Uh, Meanwhile... Loki is out in space in, like, this Kirby vehicle shooting this weird Kirby gun thing. And it's, like, coalescing this cloud of helium vapor that he found in space. And it's shaping it into a man-like thing-looking thing. He's like, this guy's going to kill Thor. This is going to be awesome. We cut back to Earth. And Thor sees, like, a celebrity being interviewed. And he's like, ah, maybe I'll use... um, you know, my celebrity to have the cameras on me and I can send a message out to Jane and she can, you know, reach out and talk to me or something. So I'll go to a news studio. But as he's flying to the news studio, this big glowing ball of yellow 
flies out or flies down to earth from the sky. So he decides to follow that. And when he gets down there, it starts hatching kind of like an egg and it crashes and opens. And inside, Loki has freed and reformed the Absorbing Man. Dun, dun, dun. To be continued. Wow. Yeah. That was fun. Definitely a fun ending, too. Yeah. So, um, so here's the thing. Like, last issue, I was like, oh, this is going to be exciting. He's going to repair his hammer. And then this issue on the cover, it's all about him repairing his hammer. And I thought, but Mike, you've been disappointed by Thor before. You know that they're going to probably repair this hammer and not make it a big deal. So don't go into it thinking it's going to be a big deal. And boy, was I even more wrong than I or right than I thought because he repairs it in Pittsburgh in a panel. Why is he not in Asgard? Doesn't he need Uru metal to fix his hammer? Why? Why can you repair his hammer in Pittsburgh? It doesn't make sense. Yeah, I it, don't like it. Peter Dinklage is not in Pittsburgh. <laughs> that was the one thing I really didn't like. Was like they they did it. They just totally undercut this awesome drama point and like i mean gosh he didn't even go to asgard he didn't even have to have like a weird ancient orc do it for him or something it's just Mm-mm. guys in pittsburgh wow um okay so at one point he mentions a time frame he says this has been going on for weeks uh-huh like since he left for the trial of the gods it's been weeks okay i would tell you if we read these chapters straight through mm-hmm. and you asked me how long they took, I would have said like one really full day. Me too. Yeah. Where was the weeks? Is it that was it the trial part? Maybe that took longer than they let on or something? Maybe they're running across all that for a really long time. Maybe. Maybe going from situation to situation. There's just a lot of sleeping in between. Or, yeah. you know, he's got to go to McDonald's and stuff with a broken hammer for like days. Maybe it takes half a know. day to fly to Asgard or something. I don't know. Yeah. It takes a lot less than that to get through the song, though. <laughs> On the rainbow bridge of Asgard. Yeah. Okay. Just for all the listeners out there. As I've been watching the Marvel superheroes show, the songs have grown on me. There we go. The Hulk one, I think, is still the most obnoxious, oh, but I the other one. ones are pretty great. Thank you for drinking the Kool Aid. You are welcome. Uh, I still have. I, I've been. I've been watching them. Like I still have one more week to go. I'm almost done. With those uh, I got to do that still. I tried to. I couldn't figure it out. You're gonna have to show me how to do that better. I guess. I don't know. Anyway, Thanks some links. Yeah. So Jane is missing. Jane is missing. Um, I liked that plot development because I don't really know what's going on, which is kind of cool. Um, and I don't know, like I've been reading, so I'm a little bit ahead. I don't know what this is setting up. Like I know what it could be setting up, but I feel like that should be later. I don't know what it is setting up. It's just like a really possessive father who doesn't want her to date a doctor. That might be a big letdown. Mm-hmm. But he looks like a weird shaped silhouette, so maybe not. I just like that he went to see the Avengers because we haven't had Thor interact with the Avengers this whole time. And there's been so much Avengers shakeup. So that was really cool. Because he um, went with Giant Man and Iron Man and the Wasp at the beginning of 16 Mm -hmm. to wrap up the whole Masters of Evil story. Mm -hmm. And then he's like, y'all, y'all, I got to go. Yeah. So he never knew that they disbanded. Not (laughs) not that they disbanded, but, you know, the roster change, essentially. Mm Mm-hmm. So I really like that interaction. Of course, Hawkeye comes off as a complete jerkhead. You're trying to steal the show. We don't need an old timer like you. Hawkeye, he is a god. Maybe 
<laughs> let him on your team. You know, Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch were a little cooler, but yeah, I just like that he was kind of frustrated and didn't really. I think it's cool. Like in a way, Thor has always had like not that he's not an Avenger and doesn't love the Avengers probably, but he is also he does have his own world. So mm-hmm. in a way, like are the Avengers as important to him as maybe other Avengers? think the avengers are important and in this it kind of right. feels like he just doesn't care that much it's like okay well i don't recognize any of you mortals so i'm leaving like i knew the old guys we had a lot of battles together i trusted them i don't know these guys yeah pretty much good thing cap wasn't there because if he was there that'd be a whole different story i guess Mm-hmm. where is he do we know that we don't no, know oh don't. he's falling um, off a building that's where he is <laughs> he's fighting he's fighting Swordmaster by himself right now this is in between Maybe. Maybe. I just Maybe made he's up. off looking for Nick Fury. Maybe. So Jane, we see her. I guess she's a bleach blonde now. She used to be a brunette. She did look different. Yeah. She looked a little different. I loved getting um I kind of missed Don Blake. I didn't realize I did, but when he turned to Don Blake, I was like kind of excited. Because we haven't seen him in a while. Yeah, we don't really see we're getting into this thing with Thor where like him coming back to his Don Blake persona is going to be an increasingly mm-hmm. rare thing and life will continue mm-hmm. on without him. And it's going to be mm-hmm. increasingly weird. This is the first time they've played with that idea that you've been not here for so long that like Jane's not here anymore and your rent's past due and all of your patients have left. Yeah. Yeah. I liked all that. That was fun. Did you, we'll see what happens. Did you guess it was the absorbing man when they first showed Loki doing the helium thing? You know, I did not. I have to say my thought was initially maybe the radi- the radioactive man, but I also knew he exploded on Earth, so that didn't really make any sense. Mm-hmm. But it was green, so I thought there's a green guy made of energy. Is that the radioactive man? But no. Absorbing man makes way more yeah. sense. Duh. Of course it was him. And they yeah. do say helium, which was what he turned into. They do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I should have got it, but I just, I don't know. I was just kind of spacing That's out, fine. I guess. Yeah. He does actually touch the wall this, as he's turning into stone at the end there. So I wonder if they if they've if uh-huh. they've gotten that like the whole I have to touch to absorb thing. Not only is he touching the wall, so the upper half is stone. But if you notice, his legs are wood based on the wood he's standing mm. on. Yeah, they should have colored that differently. So it's like he's two things. It's two things. I didn't know he could be two things, but that's interesting. All right. Yeah, good issue. Like, actually, of the four issues tonight that we have or we were going to try and cover, this was the one I didn't think would be as interesting, and it ended up being my favorite one. Well, good. So, you just never know sometimes with comics. Yeah, they're right? surprising, too. Yeah. Oh, and there's another part I forgot. Okay, so Tales of Asgard, home of the mighty Norse gods. It's called Set Sail, told by Stan Lee, drawn by Jack Kirby, inked by Vince Coletta, and lettered by Artie Simek. And as you recall... They are on a quest to figure out who cracked the Odin sword to prevent Ragnarok, blah, blah, blah. They've assembled all the cast of characters. They're on the boat. Odin's standing there like going, have a good voyage. He's like blessing them with his presence. Uh, They've set sail. All the women start crying, except for Volstagg's wife, who scowls, which makes him run because he's scared of his wife. Ha ha. Um, That annoys Loki, who kicks Volstagg, and Thor's like, don't treat my while I'm in command, you don't treat my people like they're peons and stuff. They're fellow warriors. We're not like crazy gods to them or whatever. And Loki's like, How dare you chastise me in front of everybody? I'm so embarrassed and now I want to kill you. 
Um, then it cuts to the two dudes that are part of the Warriors 3 that aren't really part of the Warriors 3. Uh, Magrat, the schemer, and Crota, the duelist. And they're like kind of being all sneaky behind Thor and one of, and one of them. I'm not sure who's who, but one of, the one with the cyborg eye like pulls a sword out and he's about to maybe stab Thor. But all of a sudden another Thor, another sword flies across the room and embeds into the wall right next to him. And they're like, who did that? And they look and it's Hogan the Grimm. And he just stares at them silently. And they're like, oh, maybe we shouldn't kill Thor right now. This guy looks, he looks scary. Grim. So they don't. He looks kind of grim. So they don't kill him right now. But they do think we want to kill him at some point. So put a pin in that. There's a lot of pins in this issue. Um, then it cuts to Odin. And I can't remember. He's talking to like the the Oracle or the Seer or one of those guys. And he's like, oh, Master of Prophecy, he calls him. He's like, how think you, Master of Prophecy? Was my decision a wise one? And then the guy says, more than that, sire, it was the only one thou couldst make. And then the caption is, what decision? What are we talking about? To be continued. So that's where we are. So that's where we are on that. Oh, and he also has, I was just going to say, he's soaking his feet in a little bath. It's kind of cool. Okay, so I read this, and Uh the very beginning, when Odin's proclaiming, my brain says, The eyes of Odin shall be on thee all your live long days. <laughs> Which is, of course, from the Texas song. It's funny, like, this storyline isn't really going anywhere fast because they're so short. And, you know, you and I are reading these every 20 months mm-hmm. or something like that. But uh, I'm enjoying it still. I like it. And for some reason, I actually think Kirby does better work in this than he does the main Thor, oddly. Like, he really likes the Viking thing or something. He really does. And I think Vince Coletta's inking is actually really serves this story really well. Uh huh. The whole Prince Valiant feel to it, I feel like works really well in this environment. Yeah. It's like, I don't know what to say about it because, like, not a lot happens, but. Yeah. Well, you have the thing with Volstag, and I'm like, okay, are we going to dum dum Dugan all over again mm-hmm. with the whole hating your wife and hating your mother in law thing? Yeah. But it did make me laugh a little bit, but it is kind of cliche, I guess. But it's funny. It's, yeah. It's funny the little tiny panel of her or the little. It's not a tiny panel, but a tiny picture of her, like with her arms on her, her hands on her hips, scowling at him. It was cute. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is that like later when you actually see Volstag with his fifteen children, mm-hmm. he is so good with them and loves them so much. Yeah, and so it just makes you wonder what this whole thing is that he's they're playing out with him and his wife. Well, maybe he loves his wife. Maybe she loves her, but she also hates when he goes on missions or something. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. Hogan sees the the would-be assassination mm-hmm. and doesn't say anything, just, like, stops it mm-hmm. and lets them keep on going with their lives. Well, yeah, I wondered about that, and else maybe he just didn't have enough proof, so he just he just uh, 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 deflated the situation before the situation actually happened, but at the same time, mm-hmm. he can't do anything. I think it's kind of hilarious that they think a guy named Magret the Schemer is a good person to have on their quest, though, but... That's just me. Shall we see what our Asgardian advisor has to say about this? Yeah, sure. Okay, so he starts with a Sticks song, and I don't know the Sticks song. Okay. Um, but evidently, I'm sailing away, oh. set an open course for the Virgin Sea. Come sail away, come sail away. You ever heard that song? I don't think so. Oh, wow. Okay. I, I've heard it. I'm sailing away. <laughs> but I think that's the same one. Yeah, no. <laughs> He says, sorry about that. I saw the title of this and sticks just started playing in my head. Okay. Not a whole lot here other than set up for the story, but we do see Volstagg give a decent summation of going Viking in his farewell speech. 
Viking means the act of going raiding overseas, by which the Norse were able to obtain wealth and resources from afar. That matches what Volstagg says they'll be bringing back, even though his real reason is to get away from his wife. In that, he seems to be the precursor of one Harcourt Fenton Mudd, another large, boisterous fellow who has traveled far to get away from his significant other, Stella. Oh my gosh. It is so mud. I never even thought about that. They even kind of. Harcourt! Harcourt Fenton Mud! They even kind of look the same. Little bit. Yeah. Little bit. I saw him in something other than Star Trek uh-huh. recently. I think it was a prisoner, epi- not a prisoner, a fugitive episode. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's Harry Mudd being a nice, respectable person. <laughs> it's so weird. Yeah, he's such a good schemer. And you know that the character was in Discovery, right? Star Trek Discovery? Yes, I've seen them all. All I haven't seen is the latest Trek shorts, but that's just because I'm waiting for the last one to come out this month and then I'll watch them. So anything else on this one? I don't think so. Boy, we're just sailing along here. <laughs> and this last one, I mean, I mean, it's not that huge a deal in the Marvel milestone of things. Okay, so it should be, though, right? Fantastic Four <laughs> Annual 3. It should be. I was being sarcastic a little, but it also is true a little. So the Fantastic Four Annual 3 is the big wedding issue. Uh-huh. And anyone out there who has mapped the chronology of a character's appearances, this always shows up in the list. Uh-huh. Because everybody's in it. I was thinking about I that. I think oh. every single hero on the roster. I was thinking about that in a way because, like, you know how the Doctor Who thing, there's, like, certain points that are fixed in time that you can't mm-hmm. you can't muster with. Like, there's certain – there's always certain milestones in when you talk about a character's history in the Marvel Universe or DC or whatever. But, like, we all know that they have this sliding timeline, and so you do have to adjust things. But there's always, like, fixed points. And definitely – one of the most common referred to fixed points, I feel like, is this freaking wedding. Like, I've seen this flashbacked many times mm-hmm. in a character's tale. So, like, in a way, this is a really epic and important issue, but we'll see how it goes. Okay. So, remember how we used to do these blind? Uh-huh. I don't have the issue in front of me. I have it, but for my summary, I'm not going to use it. Okay. Ready? Uh-huh. Okay. Dr. Doom decides... That Reed Richards and Susan Storm should not have a happy wedding day because he's mopey and edgy and, you know, whatever. So he decides to send out a brain control signal that's going to convince all the supervillains of the entire Marvel Universe, or at least Fantastic Four's history, to come and attack the Baxter building where they're getting married. Uh-huh. So that happens. The wedding is getting started. Uh, Reed and Sue and Ben and Johnny are all getting ready. And suddenly supervillains start attacking. But also superheroes start arriving for the wedding. Mm-hmm. So they help to ward them off mm-hmm. so that the Fantastic Four can get ready. Um, and this goes on for a while until it stops. <laughs> and Reed and Susan get married. The end. Oh, it's worse than that. Because how does it stop? Do you remember? I don't actually. I was, I was thinking about that. I was like, "What is the actual ending point of the story?" The Watcher shows up. Oh yeah. So now you remember. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. So the Watcher shows up, uh-huh. and he um, he warbles Reed Richards to his Watcher mansion. I don't know on the moon or whatever. Uh-huh. And he's like, "I can't interfere. Just brought you here. Check out my place. Mm-hmm. Want to see my etchings?" Mm-hmm. And Reed's like, I'm about to look at all the etchings I could want to look at. Um, 
hey, look, this looks like a weapon. And Watch is like, yep, that's a pretty powerful weapon right there. And Reed's like, uh, I think I'll take it. And so Watch is like, okay, go home. And he zaps Reed back home. And Reed uses the weapon to counteract the, um, the ray on everybody and like zaps them back home. Zaps them back home and it magically wipes all their memory. So, oh, yeah, wipes all their memory of the events. Uh-huh. So, like, it's just thing about how, like, some everything. Of their, yeah. If any of the, if any of them have a weird continuity being here, they're not going to remember it anyway. So, right. And then the last page, which is pretty much the page that I like the best and the page that you really care about, they get married. Yeah. And Stan and Jack aren't on the invitation list. Mm-hmm. So they don't get to come and see the wedding. Right. So they're going to go back to the bullpen and write bad stories for them or something. Okay. You want to hear some crazy sauce? Okay. I just saw the episode of the Marvel superheroes that adapts this issue, which you wouldn't wow, expect because right? the fantastic four are not in the Marvel superhero show. Right? So what show did they use? Well, it's in Submariner. What? He's not even in this. Right? But the next story that's reprinted is the Doom Namor story where they steal the Baxter building. Oh. So check this out. The entire wedding is absent. The Fantastic Four are absent. It's a peace conference at the Baxter building. And the panel in the comic where you see it labeled as the Baxter building, the art for that and the cartoon is the same, except instead of Baxter building, it says Peace Center or something like that. And so you're getting all of these superheroes together. And the X-Men actually play a pretty big role, only they're not called the X-Men. They're called the Allies for Peace. What? Um because they didn't the have the X-Men rights. The X-Men and the various Avengers fight the various supervillains who show up. Oh and then halfway through is when they resolve the fighting. Namor shows up and helps stop everything. And then Doctor Doom, since his mind control thing didn't work, he tells Namor to put a put the the who's a what's it in the peace building that he uses to steal the peace building into space. And that's where you change plots into the Fantastic Four six storyline. Wow. Still not the Fantastic Four. It's still the other heroes. And Xavier takes the place of Reed Richards for some of the plot elements. But yeah. Jesus. You have the Doctor Doom versus Namor story for the Submariner cartoon. Well, I was least. It's bonkers. I was watching this. I was like, Wow. I was least looking forward to reading Journey of the Mystery and ended up loving it the most. And I was most looking forward to lo- reading Fantastic Four Annual Number 3 because I've never read this before. And I thought, oh, big, important history deal. And it just was a chore. I'm sorry. I don't know. Like, I just got so cross-eyed reading this thing. It just goes on and the on and on. The only thing I got off on is, like, seeing the the people and, you know, Tony Stark shows up, but he's not with Pepper Patsy and Hetty show up because they're officially in Marvel continuity yep, now. Yeah, that was cool. We will we will not be covering their comics. <laughs> no, but that was cool. I did like that. Like, I know we've had people write in. I don't know if we've got to those letters yet, but we've had people write in like, oh, I hate when you guys say it's just a fight. And I get that. And I do like fights. I mean, I am a comic fan. And of course, if you want to talk about, you know, so-and-so versus so-and-so, I can do that till I'm blue in the face. But like, I don't know. It was a wedding issue. I thought it would just be more about the wedding. And instead, it's like, Every hero versus every villain for the entire story. Oh, and mm-hmm. I just got really tired. It just and the Fantastic Four become non-entities in their own comic, and that too. Good point. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, 
So, okay, someone's going to write in and go, you don't understand, back in 1960-whatever, everybody being in this one issue, that was phenomenal and historical. Okay, you're probably right. But at this point, we've had crossovers, so I don't know if it's mm-hmm. the same. And also, I just like – I feel like in today's world – like uh, who just got married in the Fantastic Four? The Thing? The Thing just got married. And Alicia. And Alicia. And that was kind of fun because there was like lots of low-key character moments, you know? And I, I guess it's not fair to, to judge a 60s comic with a modern sensibility, but it was just like, boy, they just threw everything – against the wall on this right down to the freaking watcher and then and the watcher was not looking good he looks really weird yeah he was a potato baby and by the way i know we've made fun of the watcher before for his non-interference policy but this is literally why they have a non-interference policy is because Mm -hmm. as a species they dropped a weapon on somebody and let them do what they wanted with it and only to find out they blew themselves up because the Watchers didn't stick around to teach them how to use the weapon. He is doing the exact same thing right now mm-hmm. in this story. Hey, Reed, go ahead and take whatever weapon you want unsupervised. So it's just really dumb. So I'm going to go through some brief continuity notes. Okay. Um, last time we saw the Puppet Master was when he fought the Thing in the Torch, okay. and he had a different face. <gasps> and he was turned into a mannequin at the end of the I story. I forgot about that. Yeah, you're right. Kirby ignored both the change and the ending. Actually, there are several bad guys who show up in this that shouldn't be able to show up. Um, let's see. Red Ghost and the Mole Man were last seen in the Avengers 12. Last time we saw Red Ghost apes, they got abandoned on the moon. And the Red Skull fell into the Watcher's portal, which transported him to any someplace anywhere in the universe. Uh-huh. But it looks like, you know, they're all back now. Um, I wrote down interesting continuity note for Puppet Master on page four. Let's see what that's talking about. Page four, panel one. Um, oh, I had sworn never to attack the Fantastic Four again, mm-hmm. and yet something seemed to force me to do it. Almost as though it's actually controlling me. I didn't know he had sworn never to fight the Fantastic Four again. I wonder if that's ever going to be mentioned again. I don't remember him saying that, but maybe he did. Thing says his tux is rented, but Reed and Johnny are both using unstable molecule tuxes. So, and they all match. They do all match. I do like. I mean, if I want to be positive about anything, I do like this page three where like. They're all kind of showing up and things shaking hands with Tony and introduced to his girlfriend and Nick and shield are like kind of acting as security. That was cool. But then it just kept going and going and going. So yeah. Having Nick Fury there with shield helping protect the superhero wedding mm-hmm. was a pretty cool way to use those characters. Yeah. I liked that. But then that was the last time you see him really. Mm-hmm. Um, Dr. Strange shows up and says, I'm, here to help return the favor of you helping me. And we have never seen Reed help Dr. Strange. No, if anything, Dr. Strange helped Torch and Thing. So they yeah, owe him. He doesn't know that Strange was helpful to them. Right. They owe they owe him. And also I didn't like that he just what did he do? Sent Dragon Ball Z somebody? I can't even mm-hmm. I can't even find his appearance. What page is that on? Page uh page eight. Oh page eight. Yeah, he Dragon Ball Z's uh the red apes and all that. And it's like, be careful with that stuff because you should just now you wonder why he doesn't just do that all the time. Right. Every time he fights someone, just banish him to another dimension. Go ahead. Um, <laughs> Super Scroll was last seen in Fantastic Four 32. He was headed back to the Scroll world, dressed as the Invincible Man, in exchange for the Storm's father. Um, I mentioned that the issue was pretty much the last Scroll story for a long time. Mm-hmm. Other than little random stuff like this, random Super Scroll stuff. Mm-hmm. We're not going to deal with the Scrolls again for a while. Okay. 
Um, they ask Matt Murdock to make an announcement as our lawyer. Would you? <laughs> I saw that. The lowliest usher could make this announcement. <laughs> why does he? Yeah. Why does that have to be from their lawyer? Right. They seem to do that a lot. As our lawyer, can you come meet us at this warehouse that and do things that have nothing to do with your job? Okay. But Daredevil does say something that I pointed out when we talked about Hydra last time. Hydra may be out to kill Nick Fury, but I don't intend to let them cheat me out of my piece of wedding cake. Uh-huh. Hydra is out to kill Nick Fury, and that seems to be it. And some also, I thought that both somehow Daredevil knows about it too. I guess, huh? Sometimes Daredevil knows about this. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah. I thought both Hydra and Shield were supposed to be super ultra secret. That's what I was saying. Like, how does how does yeah? And they're like just all in a big bus with a bomb on or a truck with a bomb on the back of it. That's not really a very spy like is it they're just gonna ram ram it and so oh but they're doing that because of dr doom i guess you could argue they're being mentally controlled right now i forgot oh yeah there's mental control happening it was cool to see like for one second cap and iron man in the same panel because now that they're not on the team anymore you don't you're not going to see that much it's cap and iron man and quicksilver so it's new and old avengers Uh that was kind of a neat little uh thing it, but see, and here's Avengers where sees- you miss character because it's like, wouldn't it have been great if there's a panel like, hey, great to see you again. But oh, well, yeah, I'm not going to get that yeah. stuff. Spidey shows up for two seconds. Mm-hmm. Hawkeye sees him, which means that Hawkeye now knows Spider-Man. Also, um, and this is a weird first appearance thing, but uh, the first time uh, Cobra and Captain America fight and someday Cap and Serpent Society are going to be a big thing. So yeah, that's where it starts, sort of. Um, next time we see Enchantress and Executor, they will not be together. Okay. So I'm not sure when they actually start fighting together again. Mm-hmm. That Spider-Man um, thing that you were talking about, panel four, page 14, mm-hmm. that's straight up out of the uh, cartoon too, isn't it? That pose? It does look like it. They've done that pose a couple times. Yeah. So I'm not sure which one actually gets used in the um, in the cartoon. Mm. Looks very ditto. But that pose where he's yeah. like swinging straight at the camera yeah. is pretty... Uh, it's like Kirby just... Maybe that that might be a Ditko drawing just transposed <laughs> Yeah, or he just cut it out and pasted it on there, yeah. Yeah. Um, page 18. So they say something okay. about Namor in this, but he's not there. So basically yes. Namor and Hulk are the only two characters we don't know about, or that we know about who don't show up. Right. And it says that he was, um, you know, too busy beneath the surface of the ocean on his quest. And I just specifically mentioning that Namor can't show up and then using this story in the Namor cartoon. <laughs> I find that really amusing. That is pretty funny. Yeah. And then also Daredevil killing Atuma and all his men. That was pretty funny too. On yeah. accident. Yeah. He doesn't even know they're there. Accidentally. Uh, she goes, Thorpe. Yeah. <sighs> and guess who looks up, shows up at the last page. Last page. Who? Um, Gabe oh. and Dugan. Yeah. Oh, wow. So, so we know they're alive. We know they're alive and evidently still working with Fury. It doesn't, I guess it doesn't like come out and say they're working for S.H.I.E.L.D., but they're here with Nick let's Fury. Let's see. And now I'm scrolling back real fast. They weren't involved in the whole, no, they weren't. Oh, maybe that's supposed to be Gabe, but one of the guys looks Gabe-like kind of, but also has different hair. I'm looking at the, the scene where like S.H.I.E.L.D. stops the Puppet Master. Yeah. Um, or, I don't, yeah. I don't think that's Gabe. I, I think that somebody is being colored. He has brown hair. Yeah, I think it's supposed to be a white guy. And they just colored him yeah. not. But so, yeah. But this is the first time we've seen Dum Dum and Gabe in modern a modern setting, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Exactly. So that's cool. I didn't notice that. And Gabe is still the wrong color. 
but that's okay. Yeah, which is weird because in the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm-hmm. comic, they figured out how to color people right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, just so, disappointing. And you guys can all write in and tell me it was historical and stuff. But I'm sorry. I just want, like, it's a wedding. I want fun and character and, like, romance and stuff. Not the biggest fight in the world. And then a kiss. Right. Right. So that's basically that story. After that, the annual goes into reprints. Now, the previous annuals had cool backup features like galleries of villains and such. And this one doesn't. Um, I think the Spider-Man one did, didn't it? I think the, all the annuals we've covered so far has have it have has had at least like a cool pinup or you know rogues galleries or something. This is just nothing. It's kind of weird. Um, the choice of reprint is interesting because we were talking about how this was adapted into the Submariner cartoon because the reprint mm-hmm. that comes first is Captives of the Deadly Duo, which is the Doctor Doom Namor story. So really that uh-huh. cartoon does adapt the first and second story of this annual. Even though they have nothing to do with each other, they are printed together here. That's kind of weird. That is kind of weird. Or or interesting, like maybe someone was thumbing through it when they made that cartoon or something. Exactly. And you know, the Submariner cartoon was mostly non-comics original stories. They were mostly original to the cartoon, which is very different to all the other series. So trying to find comic Mm. stories to adapt, they might have just glommed onto this one. Yeah, just looked at all his appearances before he actually got his own book Mm -hmm. or his own stories. And then we have the two stories from Fantastic Four 11, which were basically a visit with the Fantastic Four day in the life kind of thing and the impossible (laughs) man from (laughs) Pop-Up. That wasn't that was your your absolute favorite Fantastic Four yeah, story, this, if I remember correctly. This, I absolutely <laughs> love the Impossible Man. He is the best. So, so it's really good they reprinted it for yeah. you. Yeah, I actually, I, I says, I don't dislike the Impossible Man himself, or maybe I do. This story just really bugs me. I don't know why. Yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe trying to explain him is annoying. But anyway, let's. We don't need to get back into Fantastic Four number eleven. That's backwards. <laughs> and we are moving forward. So I think we have, um, speaking of Namor. Yes. We're going to do one more tonight, I guess. We can squeeze it in. Um, we can squeeze it in. So if I didn't mention this in the homework, because we're kind of just doing it right now, pause everything and really read real fast Tales to Astonish number 72 and then come right back because we're going to talk about it right now. Uh, it's called The... Prince, I'm sorry, no, it's not. It's called A Prince There Was. And also the backup or the Hulk feature, it's not really a backup because it's split down the middle, but within the monster dwells a man. So first we have our new uh, star, Submariner. A Prince There Was, written in Majesty by Stan Lee, drawn in Grandeur by Adam Austin, inked in Splendor by Vince Coletta, lettered in the Suburbs by S. Rosen. Um, and I'm going to read this little blurb because they've been doing this because uh, they've been really nice to us podcasters lately, kind of summarizing what's been going on now that we have all these continuing stories all the time. But it says, Imperious Rex, only by finding the trident of Neptune can Prince Namor regain his rightful throne. But the quest is long and perilous. While the false king, Krang the Usurper, schemes to thwart the Submariner at every turn, even at this moment, the noble Namor struggles mightily to free himself from the deadly grip 
of the Seaweed Man, which, by the way, I don't think he was named the last issue. So there we go. The Seaweed Man. Um, but I he think, looks like fair, I it, think we did but, call him a Seaweed Man. Okay. Well, anyway, he's fighting the Seaweed Man, um, and he can't beat him because he's made of seaweed and stuff. So he decides instead to pull off a trick from one of the Flash comics he read and spins around in a circle. He does it by swimming instead of running really, really fast, and it creates this, like, riptide, and the seaweed man is, like, kind of stuck in it. So instead of defeating him, he sort of just bypasses him. Um, and he finds on the floor, like, this metal hatch, and it has a picture of Neptune's trident on it, so that's probably where he needs to go. He opens it, and he finds, like, just like Al Capone's tomb, he finds nothing. Very disappointed, he and Geraldo. Um, but then all of a sudden, this weird, creepy fish floats from the blackness and it's got a weird thing in its mouth that talks for Neptune or something. It's a diamond um, in its mouth. And yeah, it's talking like a radio. Right. So it's a radio diamond. <laughs> oh, I know why. Because he has to go to, I forgot. He has to go. The next clue is he has to go find it at a place called the Diamonds of Doom. Now, apparently there's this place full of diamonds, but nobody goes there because it means certain death. And Emer Namer's not really sure why, but now he's going to go. Because that's the next clue. Meanwhile, we cut to Dorma, who's touching her forehead and looking sad in her luxurious uh, single bedroom. Um, Krang is, like, talking about how he just needs to kill Namor and he's going to make that Dorma his bride. And she's like, no way, I'm never going to marry you. So he says, I knew you'd say that. And he gasses her. And when she wakes up, she's stuck in this weird, like, plastic cage tube thing. And he throws her into the public like that so that she gets really embarrassed. They're all like, oh, my gosh, it's Lady Dorma, and she's being mistreated so badly. Um, and then they take her to, I don't even know where it is, some weird place with a weird guy uh, named Xantor. It's like a cave or something. And um, he puts her down into these weird depths full of shadowy, nefarious-looking people that we don't ever see because I assume that happens next issue. Um, meanwhile... Submariner's swimming around, and he talks to fish, like Aquaman. And I think they tell him that Dorma's in trouble. But he's like, no, I have to keep searching for this Neptune thing. And he finds the diamonds. But the reason why nobody comes to steal these diamonds is because their light is so brilliant. It's like this evil, powerful kaleidoscope. And it kind of like sunburns him and knocks him onto his knees and blinds him. And basically, he feels like, um, the diamonds are stealing his strength and he's going to die to be continued. Yeah. That's the whole thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the Dorma gets sent down to the faceless ones. Okay. The faceless ones. We yep, have the mindless ones. Now we have the faceless ones. <laughs> well, they are faceless cause they're just a bunch of silhouettes, but she looks really scared. And so she's we'll stuck see what in that a, means. a weird tube thing. It's like a plastic bag that she can't break or something. Something like that. Um, yeah. This was, you know, kind of fun. I don't have a whole lot to say because not a whole lot happens in these Namor stories. Yeah, I'm noticing that. They're really fast reads, kind of. Are they the same page count as the Giant Man stories? Yes. Slightly more than the so, Hulk. So in these split books, the lead story is always 12 pages and the uh, second story is always 10. So maybe that's a testament to these stories being better because it felt like it took me forever to get through a Giant Man story. And these go really fast. Right. So... Maybe they're a fast and read because they're good. Maybe. I do enjoy them. The larger art might also help. There's fewer words going on, but um Yeah, yeah. Krang is Krang is bad. Sure. He's a bad guy. He captures 
Dorma because like she fails to honor him. She fails to love him. She says that he's not a good king. He's like, I offered you a throne. You've made your choice. Mm-hmm. And if I can't have you, I will destroy you. And that is like, we have words for that now. We have words like incel and such for that kind of toxic, toxic masculinity. Well, to make it even worse, he doesn't even love her per se. He loves that the people love her. So he wanted her to marry him to sway them. Mm. You know, it's like a power trip or a power move. Um, But then when she denies him, of course, you're right. He does have a little uh, masculinity reaction. And not only that, he then throws her captured in front of these people that love her. So really, he just actually kind of did the opposite of what he was shooting for. Because now her people are probably going to be mad at him, I would assume. I would think so. And and as we saw last issue, they were already starting to get mad at him because of his you know taxations and all that stuff. So did did he, he's not helping himself? Did he tax them or did he disintegrate them? The world will never know. <laughs> <laughs> Either way, they're not happy. No. It's not great for the people. It's bad. So, it's bad. So I have I feel like an uprising's coming, but maybe they're just setting that up and then that won't go anywhere. I don't know. Or maybe when Namor comes back, he'll have the full support of the people. Because you think you yeah, know Crane took exactly. over. That people might like Krang more theoretically. It's a it's a possibility, but I think he's yeah. Unfortunately, we never really saw how Krang took over, so yeah. we don't know if he tricked everybody like Emperor style or if he actually had support at some, for some reason. Right. He just suddenly was there. So oh well. That happened during the Daredevil story. Namor is too uh-huh. busy being legal and you know trying to get and in jail. Yeah. Sue for the right to conquer or something like that. Um, so, so Namor talks to fish, um, um, which I never knew he could do that. I didn't realize he could actually communicate with fish either. Also, that one weird fish at the beginning talking to him is really weird. Very, very weird. I was like, what is going on? <laughs> you know, the, the speech does that, bubble. Does that fish just live in that hatch waiting for yeah. someone to find it? Or I don't know. What the heck? Well, the speech bubble has the jagged, like, electronic thing going on, so it looks like there's a radio voice coming out of the mm-hmm. fish. But even if there's not a radio voice, there's still a voice coming out of yeah. the fish. That's weird. Like, attention, attention, so This is Neptune. Talking yeah, to you weird. from this large fish with a diamond <laughs> in its mouth. <laughs> like that, that legend or whatever about the fish with the big coin in its mouth or something. That's what it reminded me of. I guess. It's just weird. Fish are kind of creepy in general, though, so... Yeah, Fisher Bizarre. Talking to them is, is odd. I do like the take that Peter David had on his Aquaman run that fish are really, really, really stupid. So even though you could talk to them, it's not necessarily a great thing. Right. Well, yeah. Because they don't remember what you said five seconds later. Yeah. Right. <laughs> they are all Dory. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Turns Go out left. Which that way all left? the other characters <laughs> in that story were the mutations. Dory was actually the normal fish. <laughs> Probably true. You know, you know how you go to this jewelry store and you get those diamonds that radiate light? Those are the best kind of diamonds. Mm, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's the ones you want to put on your wife so she just blinds any possible suitors. Right. It's just bizarre. Uh, but these I just assume these are weird magic diamonds or something, but I don't know. I think Stanley just doesn't understand diamonds. You know, diamonds Maybe, but they're this explains why like, no one has picked up these diamonds, I guess, right? Because yeah. they're dangerous and kill people. Maybe they have the special dead, do- deadly diamonds of doom. Maybe. It just seems like one of those things that like somebody would just like misunderstand. Like a diamond reflects, reflect, refracts and reflects light. And it does do it in really cool, dazzling ways. 
but you have to have light hitting the diamond for that to happen. And there, you know, one of the things that the bottom of the ocean is known for is just not having a whole lot of light. Yeah. Oh, well. Yeah, but it, it's also like sapping his strength, so it makes me feel like these are uh, weird Neptune diamonds or something. They might actually, yes, if they're also sapping his strength, they could be. He's like, I can no longer stand. Is this how it ends? Right. I don't know what they are, but we'll probably not get an explanation either. That's okay. That's the thing about like Atlantis and Asgard and stuff is they could just make up whatever they want, and you kind of have to just go, yeah, magic. That, well, and, and also fantasy world. That's just the way things are. Mm-hmm. Yep. And we these evil diamonds that suck your energy. We've never seen that there aren't deadly diamonds of doom at the bottom of the ocean. Right. That's a good point. But down that road lieth madness. Shall we go to the Hulk? Let us go to the Hulk, because within the monster dwells a man. <gasps> really? Uh, thrills, as only Stan Lee's story can provide them. Power, as only Jack Kirby's layouts can create it. Create it? Drama, as only... Mickey DeMeo's artwork can present it. Sound effects, as only Sam Rosen's pen can letter them. Um, Jack Kirby's it says, trapped in his, power. Trapped in his cave, hideout, hideout by an army missile force. I'm sorry, I totally read that wrong. Trapped in his cave, hideout by an army missile force, the Hulk sends Rick Jones out to safety, for the Green Goliath plans to remain within the cave until death itself shall end his uncanny ordeal. His ordeal being that... He sort of has Bruce Banner's brain in Hulk's body, but sort of not lately. But if he turns back to Bruce Banner, the bullet that's stuck in his head will kill Bruce Banner. So he's trying to remain the Hulk. But in order to do that, he needs his equipment, which just got wrecked. Uh, But then, just as the troops begin their final assault, the transparent projector image of the evil leader appears. And he says, you know, come with me. And Hulk's like, well, I don't like you. He's like, yeah, but if you don't come with me, you're probably going to die. And all they like shoot missiles at the mountain and all his oh, that's when all his stuff breaks. Sorry. Spoilers. Yeah, all his stuff breaks. And then it's like, now you really need to come back with me because you have no hope here. I could help you at least. And then we could be two green people that rule the world together. So Hulk's like, all right, fine, fine. Take me. So they do like this Mike TV thing where like his pixels get pushed from one spot to another. Um, I would say it's like Star Trek, but you could actually see like the molecules flying around and stuff. So it's well, more like Mike TV. We'll, we'll talk more about it because this is before Star Trek even existed. Oh, wow. Good point. Okay. It's also before Mike TV existed. Probably. Yeah, I, I just, well, I was just thinking that like, it does feel like a prototype of the Star Trek transporter. And yeah. if somebody like a gold key comic didn't really understand how the Enterprise worked, they might draw something like this. Mm-hmm. Anyways. So anyway, he pops out of a big TV. And the leader's like, yeah, I want you to head my army of whatever the heck they're called. I always keep forgetting automatons or something like that. Um, And Hulk's like, yeah, I don't know if I want to do. Hey, what's happening to me? And he falls over and he says, I don't know. He got drugged or something. I can't remember. Anyway, uh, Rick and Talbot and Ross are all like looking for their Hulk through the debris and Talbot's starting to get a sneaking suspicion that Rick is like in on knowing more about the Hulk than he lets on. And maybe they're in on it together. Maybe the three of them, Bruce and Hulk and Rick Jones are all in on it. So he gets Ross to like arrest uh, Rick and hold him for treason or something like that. Uh, we see uh, the leader's palace is actually outside of Rome. So, cause he's looking outside and enjoying Italy and stuff. Um, the Hulk wakes up, even though the leader thought he drugged him hard enough. But apparently not, because the Hulk is stronger than he thought. But unfortunately, the Hulk is also, uh, 
or the stuff that the leader gave the Hulk is also making him want to turn back to Bruce Banner somehow. It's like making him groggy, I guess. So he wakes up and the first thing he does is start freaking out and trying to stay mad and like punching himself and wrecking the machines, wrecking the machines that the leader was probably going to use to help him. Um, the leader's like, oh, no, the Hulk's awake. I'm going to attack him with my um, um, robot things. So he's got like different ones. These are green, not pink. And they're big. And they fight him. And they have bats and logs. And one of them zaps the Hulk. And he falls to the ground. And it's like he's about to change. And once he changes, he's, the bullet's going to kill him. And to be continued. Yeah. Fewer pages, but more happened. <laughs> well, not a whole lot more, but more. Right. Yeah, this was cool. I don't know, like the leader, like he invites him over and then he's like a jerk to him. So I don't know what he wants. It's kind of weird. And he is really on about the green. Like, let's go be (laughs) the two green people. You're green. I'm green. We can rule the world as the two green guys. It's going to be fantastic. Yeah. But then he knocks him out. So like, I don't even think he gave him a chance to say yes or no, did he? Um, he said, Hulk said he would do it. So they go back to the thing and he's explaining to the Hulk why the Hulk is there. And the Hulk just falls over because he's been inhaling odorless sleep gas. Well, yeah, but on page five, he does says, I've had enough of you. Maybe you don't care about the human race, but I ain't going to let a creep like you. Oh, and then he falls over. So, but then again, it sounded like he didn't trust him to begin with. Yeah. And how long has that sleep gas been in the room if the Hulk falls over? So do you think the leader really wants the Hulk because he wants him to lead his pink army? Or do you think the leader has other nefarious purpose, like scientific study purposes for the Hulk this whole time and he was just tricking him? I feel like he has on his own by himself talked about the whole brain and brawn pairing up to rule the world. So I feel like mm-hmm. there's a sincere desire there. But yeah. maybe at the same time he doesn't trust the Hulk at all. Yeah, which is probably a good idea because the Hulk's just wants to beat him up so yeah um i have a question for you i also forgot my summary but at some point the hulk talks about leader's scientific equipment and so now the leader's got this thought in his head like why does the hulk care about scientific equipment oh that's right he puts two and two together but he's starting to think that maybe the hulk is more than just the hulk the hulk has sciencey thoughts what's that about yeah yeah why does he care about science so i have a question for you you know, okay. General Ross and Glenn Talbot, they are army officers, and they're in a military operation to find the threats to national security, and they brought the teenage layabout with them? What's that about? They didn't... Well, he was in the cave with Hulk. I don't know that he should be oh, with them right now. Oh, that's right. He was there. Hulk just shoved him out two seconds ago. So that they wouldn't kill him. Right. Because if they if he stayed in the cave, they would have blown up the cave and not known Rick was in there. So he shoves him out. And so they actually probably think they've rescued him at first because mm-hmm. they don't realize he's he's in cahoots with the Hulk. But that said, wouldn't they just put him in a Jeep and take him home, not like let him hang out with them and while they ransack this destruction? And I don't know. But now they think that Rick Jones and Bruce Banner built a robot Hulk. And so he's arrested. Or that the Hulk is like one of his experiments that, yeah, they... They do. They have connected Rick with the Hulk and Banner. They think there's a trio somehow. Yeah. And Rick's like, I should have stayed with the Avengers. You're right that the Hulk thing does look like Mike TV, um, especially when he's coming out of the screen instead of off the platform. It's just when I was reading, uh-huh. I think it was very Star Trek. Well, I thought about that, too, because anytime you hear, you know, like transport or teleport or whatever, I immediately think Star Trek because they like put a lot of energy into that idea. And they described it. Energy. Get it? <laughs> oh. mm-hmm. The description of it is pretty, pretty on the ball. 
from the Star Trek. But like I said, this is 1965. This is July of 1965. The first episode of Star Trek is over 12 months away. I mean, technically, I know we don't see it on Star Trek, but when they dissolve when they dissolve into those little pixels, I assume those pixels are moving to wherever they're supposed to end up. Yes, they are beamed it's down. Not like, yes. Yeah, so it is like how Kirby and what's his face are drawing this in a way. Like you see the they and in this comic you can see the energy moving, which you don't really in Star Trek, but that is how it works. And conceivably it could be something that we are being shown that wouldn't actually be seen in reality. In like, fact, it, I wonder if those gold key comics you brought up have uh, represented teleporting like this because those gold key comics that did some wonker weird stuff sometimes with Star mm-hmm. Trek. So rocket blast coming out. I of wouldn't the warp put cells. it past them. Right. I wouldn't put it past them to draw teleportation like this. Maybe. So I feel like we've seen the leader in like a spaceship before. Does he live in a loft above a Roman museum? That sure sounded felt weird to me too, but I don't know if we've ever been told where he's actually located or maybe this is one of his many locations what i don't know yeah because the avengers had that like not quite crossover that like really close encounter but not quite encounter with the mm-hmm. hulk and that was in a those were oh, in yeah. caves down in the southwest that's right so he must have more than one place i guess he does especially if he has tele- teleportation ability um maybe he jumps from one tv to another he has in his museum one of the exhibits is a bunch of green statues, which is a little bit weird because uh-huh. they're not actually that artistic. They don't actually look that cool. And also, they're not really an exhibit. They are actually living or at least come to lifeable. Yeah. Some sort of robot-y things. Yeah. Which was kind of weird. And it's like not the pink ones. So I don't know. Maybe just a trap. Like people are, oh, look at these cool statues. And then they get hit on the head with them or something. Yeah, because he says the statues are camouflaged humanoids. It's like... If they're camouflaged, that implies they're meant to fool someone. So are they supposed to be art? They sure don't look very artsy. They look like they're trouble. Yeah. Um, I feel like we're getting real close to how Hulk works, but little things like this kind of still bother me. Like if he's unconscious, normally now he would probably turn back to Bruce Banner because he's relaxed. He's asleep. Mm -hmm. Um, But then instead he's fine asleep as the Hulk, but when he wakes up, somehow the gas is making him turn back to Bruce Banner. That's a little weird. Yeah. And yeah, he says the gas is causing a reaction in him that is making him about to change. It's also weird that he like is able to fight it so hard because mm-hmm. normally the change comes and you can't stop it. Yeah. I guess it depends on how long the scene lasts. It's hard to tell, but it is like multiple pages of him fighting it. So mm-hmm. We'll see. I mean, he's also still using that machine to stay the Hulk, and now he doesn't have that anymore. So it'll be interesting. See how it goes in the next chapter. I say he just digs his finger into his brain and pulls the bullet out, and he'll probably survive. <laughs> It'll probably heal real fast. Probably. That's just me. <laughs> anyway. All right. Well, I think that's our episode. Yay. What are we going to cover next time? Well, I'm just going to say four books and be optimistic. So – but it'll at least be three. So it'll at least be Sergeant Fury number 22, where he and Bull McGivney go at it. So that'll be fun. The Fantastic Four number 43, the third part of the Frightful Four's takeover of Ben Grimm's mind. And Strange Tales number 137, which will be another Agent Shield story and Doctor Strange trying to figure out what eternity is still. 
And if we get real lucky on our time, we'll probably also cover Tales of Suspense number 70, which is the second part of Iron Man fighting the Titanium Man and Captain America trying to rescue Bucky from, from uh, 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 what's it called? Greymore Castle or something like that? Mm-hmm. One of those castles. Some Nazi castle. Two-parter. Both of them two-parters. Should I tell them what we're doing for 100 since it's only two episodes away now? Uh, retiring. Right. <laughs> Everyone is so scared that we're quitting the show. <laughs> Y'all, we're not quitting the show. It's all been just you know us joking around. Mm-hmm. One of the things about podcasting is that like podcasts fade, and we are mm-hmm. we're just very realistic with each other that we don't know how long this is going to go because we don't know how long we're going to want to do it. We still want to do it. In fact, we just kind of had like a, a check in with each other today. This is still fun, so we're we're yeah. we're, we're still going. Um, episode one hundred, probably over two parts. I don't know, maybe three, but probably two. Um, we are going to be covering the more modern miniseries, Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes. That's the Joe Casey yes. miniseries, not the TV tie-in. Um, no. From 2005. Yeah, 2004, 2005. Or, yeah. Uh, the reason we're doing that is because it basically looks at the exact era we've been looking at and sort of mm-hmm. fills in gaps and fleshes out the events. So I thought it'd be kind of fun to to celebrate our journey by taking a more modern look back at the same journey. And I've, you know, read some of it already. I haven't finished it, but there is definitely some cool stuff in there that like actually answers questions that you and I had when we were reading these Mm -hmm. original Avengers stories. So it's going to be fun to talk about. So that is eight issues. We're going to start doing that two weeks down the road with episode 100. Um, And we like, so we will split the episode 100 up into two or three parts and go from there. Yeah. All right. Where can they find us? They can find us all, what is it, 98 now of these episodes at makearsmarvel.com. There you'll find links to our social media on Facebook and Twitter. We're much more Twittery, but you can also join us on Facebook. That's cool. Um, We also have links on that site to various ways you can listen to podcasts through apps. You could also just hopefully type Make Ours Marvel in your favorite app and we'll show up. All the episodes should be available for free and weekly. Uh, so please subscribe. And lastly, on the site, you can use our contact form or you could just email podcast at makearsmarvel.com. Send us a message. And every once in a while, we do a mailbag episode. And yeah. we'll read your letter. All righty. Well, um, I can be found on Twitter at John Reads Comics. Uh, this show, as Mike said, is at Make Ours Marvel on Twitter. My other podcasts are a Transformers podcast, Return to Cybertron. Uh, it is about the Transformers UK comics and the cartoons that came out alongside them in the 1980s. Um, as we're recording this, I am in the comics era between seasons one and two of the cartoon, but my son and I have just started recording our coverage of that second season. So season two coverage is coming down the road. Although with the downloads, I think people like the comics more than the cartoon talk, but that's okay. Um, we are, I'm also over at an image comics podcast called all the pouches on Twitter at all the pouches. I do a tweet blog about the Scarlet Witch called uh, at Let's Talk Wanda on Twitter. And yeah, so that's all there. So there you go. I guess that's the end of our show. That's the end. Another one and done. Another one and done. So until next time, or until the Fantastic Four have another wedding, and this time the Skrulls are invited, make ours marvel. marvel.